I want to talk to you about the three lost parables of the book of Luke. It's a, it's a lot of reading, and I normally, you know, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to do it today, doing what I'm led to do here, the three lost parables of the book of Luke. There's three parables in this chapter 15 of the book of Luke. Amazing how they correlate together. Let's start with verse 1, verse all the way to 32. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. That was Jesus. They drew near him. Publicans and sinners. That was tax collectors and every other kind of what the, what the society of the day, what the Bible would call a sinner. And the Pharisees and the scribes, and those were your religious leaders of the day, followers of Moses, believers in the Bible, people that cared about God, Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And so the first two verses give the reason for all the rest that follows, the other 30 verses. So he gives them three parables to try to teach him something. And hopefully we can learn what he was trying to teach them. We, we can learn, and if we already have learned, we're reinforced in it. We have the parable, first of all, the lost sheep. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth up in his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over the ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Then he goes to another parable, the lost coin. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she had found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Then we have the parable of the lost son. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that followed to me, and he divided unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself with a citizen of that country, and, sent him in, and that citizen sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks of the swine did eat. No man gave unto him. When he, and I like this phrase, when he came to himself. That's called coming to the bottom. He reached the bottom. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he had yet a great way off, notice, circle the word, his father. 
saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. He'd rehearsed that, hadn't he? But the father said to, the, said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring forth the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And I believe now, verse 25, Jesus begins to apply this to the Pharisees. And now his elder son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh unto the house and heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these meant, what these things meant. He said unto him, Thy brother has come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. The older brother was angry and would not come in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. He answering said to his father, Lo, these many years have I served thee. I do I serve thee, and neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Circle the all. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and is lost. He was lost and is found. I did a study on these three parables. And here's some of the things I learned I want to share with you by way of teaching at the beginning of this and application at the end. Some commonalities between these three lost parables, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. They all three deal with something precious that was lost. They all three are in answer to the Pharisees murmuring and dislike and unconcern for lost sinners. 15.1, they drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. That bothered, that bothered, that bothered the Pharisees and scribes. Who better to come around Jesus than sinners? Who who, who better to hang around as a born-again believer you don't you don't go party with them. You don't go you don't go you don't go to the bar with them. You don't partake of their sins, but these people came to him. It was on Jesus' terms and Jesus' location that they came to him and wanted to be with him and wanted to know about what was going on. Now you, you should be happy about that. They all three progressed to a joyful conclusion. By, by the way, before I go any further, uh, the Pharisees, scribes, murmured that he ate with sinners. But in Matthew chapter twenty-one, verse thirty-one, it says, "Publicans and harlots will go to the kingdom, will go into the kingdom of God before you." Wow, that's big. 
Republicans now, that was the most hated individual in their society, a publican. IRS guy, a crooked IRS guy. And a harlot was considered the lowest type of female selling her body to eat. He said, they're going to be in heaven for you. Whoa, whoa, that rubs the self-righteous hair the wrong way, doesn't it? It did them, it did them. Then to every, then to every one of these lost parables is a joyful conclusion. In verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than the ninety-nine just persons that need no repentance. Verse 10, likewise I say unto you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. In verse 32, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad for thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. The correct attitude for the born again believer is that we really, really are happy when people get saved. A church that's right with God, a church that has a heart for God, cares about the lost people around them that they live with, that they eat with, that they do business with, that they that they mingle with in some way or another. And their concern is that they would get saved. And what's amazing, it's not only to be our concern that they get saved, it actually is heaven's concern that they get saved because when one of them gets saved, there's, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Now, who do you think that is? The presence of the angels. I believe that's the 200-plus gospel Baptist church people that are already going on the other side and are already over there, and they somehow hear, maybe there's an announcement. Paul Tilson got saved, and, and they have a spell. They say, man, we didn't think Paul would ever get saved, not him. Nick Carvin got saved. Woo, they had a spell that day. Mike tomorrow got saved. I don't know if it goes over the loudspeaker or whatever, but somehow or another they have them a spell. They're having a big old time in heaven. But all three of them, you see there was a rejoicing at the end of the parable. All three deal with personal sacrifice for that which was lost. Look at verse 4. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, not leave the ninety and nine, and go after that which is lost until they find it. It's talking about some serious sacrifice, leaving the comfort of your home and leaving the comfort of the, what you own and going out there. We, well, obviously that teaches that you and I ought to inconvenience ourselves for the lost. Summertime on the bus, you've never ridden one in the summertime, especially this afternoon when they're taking them home. It's uncomfortable. I only think we have one air-conditioned bus Brother Nick said, if you get another one, whatever happens, don't give it to me because I love to suffer. Amen. He's changed his mind on that, but nevertheless, I don't know. Brother Rochelle, you take air conditioning, amen? He would. He's, he's on that. He's on. But I did a little bit of bus ministry myself, and let me tell you, there's some personal sacrifice involved in doing the bus ministry. You get up and get out before everybody else, and you get home after everybody else. While all these people are having social events and going out to eat with each other and having fellowship with one another, you're out there dropping the boys and girls off. And every one of these parables, there was personal sacrifice for the lost. Verse 8, either what woman had ten pieces of silver, she lose one piece and then light a candle, sweep the floor and seek diligently until she find it, man. She's after it. Verse 12, when we, when, I like it when it says in verse 20, excuse me, 
when he was a, yeah, when the son, the lost son, was a great way off, his father saw. Now, brother, what was he doing? Looking binoculars a great way off? Where's that? Is my son coming back yet? This is the way he'd come back. Is he back? He had been, that wasn't the first day he got up and looked. We're to be constantly looking. Looking for the loss so that they can come home. And finally we saw the son. He had compassion on him and, and ran. As I was studying this, I was thinking, man, I wouldn't be very good at running right now. I'm not very good at running, but he gave his best shot at it. He ran for him, fell on his neck and kissed him. All three threw a party after finding that which was lost. Verse 6, rejoice with me. I found my sheep which was lost. Verse 9, she called her friends and her neighbors together and said, rejoice with me. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on, put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, bring forth the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat and make merry. For my son which is dead is alive. The sheep, the coin, and the son were all three dirty when they were found. They were intensely loved anyway. The sheep's in the wilderness wandering around. He's probably all messed up and got thorns in him. I don't know. There's some stick tights in Florida that when you get in them, man, it takes hours to get them out of you. My wife, which is a palmetto, kind of a palmetto rat, she gets in them palmettos. That's right. That's right. She gets in them palmettos, man, and she cuts them down, like, like cuts them down to where they just got a few and, and really makes them look good. But in doing that, there's, there's weeds in there with these stick tights. And I can't remember what we call them bad weeds, but I don't have a technical name on them. But they got a little round sticker to them. And when those get on you, they get like thousands of them on you. And you just have to pick one, very much one at a time off. That old sheep, if you've been around sheep, they're, they're wool, man. They, get, they touch one of them, they pick it up. So by the time he found the sheep, they were intensely dirty. We loved them anyway. The coin on the floor, man, obviously she's sweeping the floor. I should have done that probably before that. But nevertheless, sweeping the floor. The son, he was in the pig pen, feeding the pigs, slop. I don't know if you've been around pigs, but I have. I had nine pigs at one time. They can get pretty nasty. All three, the sheep, the coin, and the son had intrinsic value, but not commercial value. What do I mean by that? I'll explain. One sheep out of 100 does not have much commercial value. Now, it had intrinsic value to the shepherd. The shepherd cared about the sheep inordinately over the other 99. I mean, he cared about 99, but he cared about that one because he cared about all of them. But commercial value, really, one sheep out of 100 is not a big deal. This woman lost a coin. I mean, the coin, they figure, is worth about 50 cents in our money. It wasn't a lot of money. But she just was upset that she lost it in her house, and she was going to find it, man. It had, it had intrinsic value to her, but not much commercial value. Uh, the son, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but children die every day. It's not an unusual thing in our world that children die. But to the parent, it was big. To that father, he was willing to get up and look out the window every day towards that road that came back from where he went. He was hoping somehow he'd see him come back. He cared a great value of each of these was esteemed by the owner, not the general public. I don't expect the world to care for the lost. I don't expect the world to, but I do expect God's people to, amen? I expect the local, fundamental, independent, Bible-believing, old King James Bible church to care about the lost. 
and we ought to have a burning desire and everything we do and all this money we spend and the focus we have ought to be to get the word of God out, which is able to save them and believe. It's beautiful. There's some differences in these parables. Those were commonalities. Let me show you some differences in these parables. The lost sheep illustrates God's possession and his attachment to sinners by his son. The loss is emphasized in this parable. The lost coin, we see the search, is emphasized in this parable. We see the lost son, the restoration, is emphasized in this parable. So you have the lost sheep, the loss is what we're thinking about, the lost coin, the search is what you're thinking about, and then the lost son, the restoration, is the main emphasis of that parable. I believe in some degree the Trinity is represented in these three parables. I mean, I wouldn't die for it, but I see it. The good shepherd, who is the good shepherd? Jesus, who gives his life for the sheep. How about the Holy Spirit who searches for that which is lost? The Holy Spirit, no man cometh from the Father, said, my spirit draw him. The Spirit of God right now is searching through this group and searching through all, all the churches and where the Bible is being preached and other places is searching for the sinner. How'd you get saved? The Holy Spirit came by and whispered to you, didn't he? You're wrong. God's right. You're wrong. The Bible's right. You need Jesus to be saved. He explains that to you. Oh, a preacher may talk about it and a, and a, and a soul winner may talk about it, but it's the Holy Spirit who really gets inside the head of the other person and begins to convince them that they need to be saved. I remember at five years old sitting in a Sunday school class and having my uh, Sunday school teacher do a flannel graph. Well, that's a new one. Flannel graph, which I still like. I like the flannel graph. You know, five-year-old has a big imagination. And she had this flannel graph with this, with this big uh, cliff on this side. And she had a, a big cliff on this side. And she had people coming up to this cliff and falling off. She had, and she drew some flames at the bottom of it. She said, without Jesus, you have to answer for your own sin, and you fall off into that abyss where the flames are. I'm a five-year-old. And then she said, then she put a big old cross up here and put a cross over that thing. He said, but if, you, if you'll trust Jesus, you can miss hell and gain heaven. And your sins can be forgiven because he already paid for your sins. She explained the gospel to me, five-year-old. I get in the car, I'm burdened. Who is burdening me? It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's burdening this five-year-old of his sin. What sin does a five-year-old do? Oh, brother. I'd already smoked by then. I smoked cigarettes on top, top of the chicken coop, thinking the smoke rose so my mom and dad would never smell it. Got up five, six feet on top of the chicken coop, thinking while well, smoking it goes up, right? Duh. I had lied by that time. I had stolen by that time. I had envied by that time. I had coveted by that time. I'm going down to Ten Commandments. I had disrespected my mom and dad by that time. I had hated by that time, which is murder. I hadn't lusted because I didn't know what it was yet. But as soon as I got the ability to, I began to do that began to break all of the commandments. And, and by five, I was a sinner, unable to save myself, and I was wicked. And that's what the Holy Spirit told me. He said I was wicked. 
And I would have to stand before God and answer for these things. I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't make heaven because there'd be no sin in heaven. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, will cleanse me from all unrighteousness if I would by repent of my sin and trust Him as my Savior. And on the way home on Casalba Street, about where Bristol Street and Casalba Street cross, I remember the car going across there. I got up by the, I was in the back seat, got up by my mom, and I said, Mom, I need to be saved. And in her wisdom, she led me to the plan of salvation, and we prayed and trusted Christ as Savior. I'm 70 years old. That was 65 years ago. God can save a five-year-old. Why do we care about children's ministries? Because God will save a five-year-old. When the blessed Son of God and the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, explains to them their position. That's right. And then in the parable of the lost son, it's the father who lovingly sacrifices and looks for his lost son on his way home. So I see Jesus in the lost sheep. I see the Holy Spirit in the lost coin, the search. And I see the father in the lost son. For God so loved talking about the Father, the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, the Father. Nobody talks much about the gift, the sacrifice of the Father, giving His only Son, watching Him, having to turn away from Him so that He legitimately would take upon the sins of the world and God would be just, and the justifier him which believeth in Jesus. That's a lost son. Jesus, in this very last parable, that's where he really began to apply it to the Pharisees through the elder son. Obviously, they caught the idea that they were the elder son. They were the self-righteous son who, who, who was uh, cold as ice, if I may say that. They were characterized by the cold pride of false virtue. We're not supposed to think much of ourselves. We're supposed to think little of ourselves. It was David that fell when he forgot that he was just taken out of the sheepfold. And he was just the nobody that God made the king of Israel. It was Solomon who fell when he forgot that it was God that made him what he was. You go down through history, when people get saved, they begin to live for Jesus. They don't, they, they, they're humble at the beginning, and they realize there, there was just great grace was laid upon them so they could be saved. And then they get maybe educated, go to school and get some education and begin to read their Bible. Pretty soon they can quote all 66. They can quote the 66 books forward and backward. They know some of the content of those 66 books. They begin to master some of the knowledge of the Scripture, begin to memorize some Scripture, and then a horrible thing wants to happen to them. They get cold virtue. They get self-important. Not realizing if it wasn't for Jesus, they'd be hopelessly, helplessly, and haplessly lost. And that never changes. It never changes. A thousand years from now, I'm going to be more grateful than I am today that he saved me. Not less. Time should not make you cold. Time should make you hot. 
Time should give you a fervor for the lost, not less fervor. When a church grows, this church started 42 years ago in infancy, and we've grown and we've, we've matured, but God forbid that we would ever mature to the place of being like these Pharisees. God forbid. I like this. Uh, the old, the old uh, elder son says, Lo, these many years I served thee. He was seasoned. Neither transgressed at any time that commandment. He was confident. Yet thou never gavest me a kid. And I have a hard time personally believing. Personally, I think he exaggerated this. The Bible doesn't say that. But, I mean, come on. Never gave me a kid. Never rejoiced. I think he was, I think he had a, what they call poochy lip. What do you think? I, I, think he, I think he had his thumb in his mouth. I think he was, I think he was sucking his thumb a little bit. Oh, me. Don't ever get sorry for yourself. Please don't ever get sorry for yourself. You may say, well, so-and-so gets recognition, and I don't. Thank God you don't. With recognitions come responsibility and accountability, and you get a target on your back for the devil clearly to see. You say, well, I've been doing this for years. Nobody's ever come up to me and shaken my hand and said, thank you for doing it. What you really care about is just Jesus. Is Jesus glad you did it? Now, God forbid we should be thankful. Amen. I'm for thanking everybody. I'm for thanking Bob Miller. I'm for thanking musicians. I'm for thanking Betty over here on the organ. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for skinny Hannah. I'm happy for the Sunday school teachers, and we should be grateful, and you can't be too grateful. I get it. You can't be too grateful. You really can't. How many times can you say thank you before somebody gets mad at you? But brother, if nobody ever says thank you, nobody ever, and if God says thank you, that's going to be enough. That's going to be enough for you. The fact is, these Pharisees forgot that, they, that we are all objects of God's grace. The fact is that we're all sinners forgiven of our sins by God's mercy. The fact is we should care about sinners like the Father cares about sinners. The fact is that we should rejoice about sinners repenting as much as our Father rejoices and heaven rejoices about sinners repenting. The fact is we should welcome repentant sinners into our fellowships just like the Father welcomes them into his presence when they get saved. But getting angry over grace is not true love and definitely not God's love. And I wish the whole world would get saved. What about you? I know God does, 1 Peter 3, 9. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All means Adolf Hitler. All means President Biden. I'm going to get tough on you now. All means Kamala Harris. That's right. You say, well, Kamala or whatever, think of some bad person. But trust me, hell's a long time. They need to be saved. Man, I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want them to go to hell. I want them to be saved. 
Now, they may or may not be saved, depending on what they will decide between them and God, but I want them to be saved. I wish that all people were saved, including myself. It's easy after many years of service for the king to get like this elder son. But don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't you get self-righteous. You start thinking you're important, beat yourself back down. And say, one for Jesus, I'd be nothing. One for the Holy Spirit, one for the opportunities that he's given me, I'd be nothing. And really, Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. I keep repeating that to myself. Without me, I can. I, I came here last night and prayed. I do every Saturday night that I'm in town. And I said, Lord God, you know I'm a nothing. I'm just an old hippie from the 60s. I should have went to hell. And you came down and saved me. And on top of saving me, you gave me a hippie woman. Beer drinking, partying woman. Love to dance. I don't mind confessing her sin. <laughs> she ain't going to tell you. Two kids out of the will of God, out of the work of God. God said, I've been looking for you. I've been looking for you. Come home. Come home. And when we turned back, when we finally came to ourselves, I turned back. I found the Father's arms to be open. He ran to me. We should have enough gratitude to last for a lifetime. The old Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, they didn't have any gratitude. They thought they deserved to be saved because of their behavior or their heritage or their opportunity. But they didn't. And Jesus in, the, in these lost parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son showed them, hey, you got to get right. For my son which is dead is alive. I believe we learn from these three parables. There is going to be some righteous partying in heaven. Righteous partying. Not wanton drunkenness and all that other stuff that goes on partying today, but I'm talking about righteous. I mean happy. Some of you Presbyterian-like or Episcopalian-like folks who've never said amen in a service, you're going to run around shouting glory to God, hallelujah, making a fool of yourself. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to see what you wanted us to see in these three lost parables. Help us to burn. Help us to burn 
to see the lost saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.